Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 415 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday evening, April 10th, 2022. Guys are on the move, mostly en route to Durham, so we are back to talk about it. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. I'm coming to you, as I often do, from my home in Boston. I am joined, as always, by Donald Wine and Jason Evans. Donald is at home in Washington, D.C., and he is sporting his new Washington Nationals cherry blossom hat. Donald, you are looking fresh today, my friend. Why, thank you. I knew you would appreciate it. Uh, I just got it. I literally got it this afternoon. Uh, a friend of mine picked it up for me while I was in uh, Doha. So uh, I, I thank my man, Josh. We also got some crab cakes at Papa's, which is a world famous uh, crab cake joint north of Baltimore. So it's been a great day so far. And we get to talk about some great things on the basketball court for Duke. Isn't Donald name dropping Doha there? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Friend got it for me while I was in Doha. While I was in Doha. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I was in Doha, so. <laughs> Still, it's a big name drop, man. <laughs> Jason Evans uh, does not appear to be wearing any new clothing, but he seems chipper nonetheless. Jason, how are you today, sir? Uh, actually, I've had a really interesting day. Uh, this is a good um, honey-do list kind of day. We had to clean out the porch. This is Atlanta. It is April, and that means everything that is outdoors is covered in yellow, covered in pollen. And so I spent several hours this afternoon cleaning out my back porch, uh, taking all the yellow and removing it. Uh, so wasn't that fun? <laughs> One of the things I don't miss about being in North Carolina is, uh, is all of my things being covered in pollen. So throughout my whole life, up until like the age of 45 or maybe even 50, Never had any allergies. Like pollen came around. I didn't care. No big deal. In the past five years or so, suddenly pollen really bothers me. So I was cleaning this stuff. I was popping Zyrtec like they're freaking candy. And uh, it didn't matter. I, my eyes were still watering. I was exhausted. I had a headache. My nose was running. It was terrible. I will say I was the same way. Even at Duke, I didn't have a lot of allergies. Maybe a sniffle here and there, but never had to take like allergy medicine. It wasn't until I moved to D.C., the pollen here is what got me not the yellow stuff down in North Carolina and, and parts south of there. Uh, it is the, the hay pollen or whatever it is, the grass that they have here in DC, just right around now. We haven't got there yet, but close to the end of April to the beginning of May, that's when I really start getting the sniffles. Should, should we do a collective sneeze? All three of us on cue. We can all sneeze. No, I'm, I'm fine right now. You guys can, can, can go ahead and sneeze. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I'm good. Uh, feel free to feel free to mute while I, I tell you about what we're going to uh, be discussing today. So, as I said, it's it's guys coming to Durham either shortly or or in short order uh, for for Duke. One of them is a a new. I guess he's not an assistant coach. He's a he's going to be a special assistant to the head coach. That is Mike Schragi. Uh, also, I should I should add uh, we are going to be doing some pronunciation guide on today's episode because that is important. <laughs> Mike Schragi is going to be uh, a new uh, special Sam, assistant. Sam, I believe it's pronounced Mike. Yes, that that would be Mike, like Mike Shevsky. <laughs> But this is Mike Schragi is coming over to be a special assistant to John Shire. Before we talk about him, we'll get to him after the break. Before we talk about him, though, two huge recruits committed to Duke last week. I will just take these in, um, in, in order of commitment date. The first was on Thursday. Uh, Duke got a commitment. John Shire got a commitment from, uh, I guess it was two class of 2023 guys. So neither of these are going to be showing up this summer unless something dramatic changes. But Thursday... Duke got a commitment from Tyrese Proctor. He is a six foot four guard from Australia. 
he's the 17th ranked prospect in the class, according to the 24 seven composite. And then on Friday, Duke landed a really big fish in the form of Mackenzie Mbako. We're going to do pronunciation on this one too. That's Mackenzie Mbako. He is a six, eight forward uh, from New Jersey. Although uh, his father is from Nigeria, which is why he and Tyrese Proctor were teammates on the world team at the Nike hoop summit last week, where they competed against a few other incoming Duke guys in uh, Kyle Filipowski, Derek Whitehead and Derek Lively. So let's discuss both of these commitments. I want to take Proctor first because he was the, the first one to commit Jason, uh, give me a quick rundown on, on Tyrese Proctor and what he means for John Shire's recruiting class for the class of 23, which is shaping up to be perhaps more impressive than the class of 22 that he already put together. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, so just so folks, before I get to Proctor, just so folks have a good sense of that 2023 class. And, and I should remind everyone it's April of 2022. <laughs> I mean, traditionally, you start, you see guys committing in the summer, the late summer, the fall uh, for Duke to have lined up already five recruits, four of whom are, are five-star recruits. Um, one of them is just on the cusp of being a five-star. He's a four-star for Duke to have lined up these guys this far in advance. It's, it's crazy there, by the way, there have only been nine five-star recruits, five-star players who've committed for all of 2023 across all of college basketball, only nine of them. And four of them are coming to Duke. It, it's, it's outrageous. But so let me get to Tyrese Proctor. Uh, like you said, he's an Australian. He plays at the NBA's International Academy, which is like, you know, even though he's an Aussie, the NBA has this whole program where they bring in the best international players from all over the globe. And they, uh, you know, it's essentially, you know, a boot camp to some extent to prepare these guys to be college or professional basketball players. And Tyrese Proctor is one of the better point guards at the NBA International Academy. He has been vaulting up the rankings lately. Um, Sam, you said, you know, he's number 17 in the 24-7 composite, but uh, there are plenty of folks who now say that he is a top 10 player in the class of 2023. And uh, everyone's just been really impressed. Every time that people watch him play, they're just incredibly impressed. Uh, as you said, 6'4", he weighs 175. Um, he has a very, very nice shot from the outside. But what stands out to me as I watched the tape on him is his daring and creativity dribbling the ball and, and passing as well. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be so bold as to compare him to Kyrie Irving, but he has that kind of moxie in his ball handling. Um, he recognizes that the best opportunities are not always sort of straight ahead. He's not afraid to take step back jumpers. He's not afraid as he's dribbling to maybe move to the side or move backwards and then open up a new angle for himself. It's really very advanced for a kid his age. And like I said, he's an excellent, outstanding passer. Um, he had a film session that he did with ESPN where they just sat down and watched film of him and discussed, uh, you know, what he what he's thinking on each and every one of these plays and such. And he mentioned in that film session that he's been studying a lot of Chris Paul trying to learn to be patient with his dribble, let the defense make a mistake and then attack that mistake. And like I said, it's just, he, he seems really smart. He clearly studies the game. He, he just seems like a guy who is just getting better and better and really wants to continue to get better. He has long arms. He gets really wide on defense. I noticed when I was watching tape of him that um, he spreads his arms out tremendously when he's on defense like when he senses a guy's about to make a move, it makes him much wider, much bigger than he would ordinarily be. It allows him to get lots of deflections and um, 
uh, and tips on balls. I saw a number of times where he would get those arms out. And, and even though he wouldn't get the steal, he would cause the deflection that led to the steal. He's just, he's difficult to get around an ideal combo guard. He can play point guard. If you want, he's going to be very creative there, but with his size at six, four and with his length, he's able to play two guard. And of course he's a very good shooter as well. Incredibly excited about having this guy uh, in the program. Uh, one of the best international players out there. Uh, and he's in the class of 2023 and he's coming to Duke. And presumably, depending on on the outcome of the Caleb Foster reclassification rumors, which we will get to shortly, but uh, if Caleb Foster decides not to reclassify and stay in the 23 class, you could imagine Jason Proctor and uh, and Foster playing next to each other with Foster being the primary ball handler, but Tyrese Proctor being able to to spell him at the point, you know, in the in the moments when when Foster has, yeah, to, I mean, that, has to sit. That would be. That would be the two point guard kind of thing, which Duke has done effectively many, many times in the past. Uh, look, uh, Donald, you remember very well, Jason Williams and Chris Duhon. Uh, you know, Duke has done this a bunch of different times and it's, it's worked very nicely. If you've got the size um, to, to be able to defend opposing wings, then you can play multiple point guards together and, and both Foster and Proctor have the size to be able to do that. Donald, what do you think about Duke's, uh, commitment from Tyrese Proctor and, and his impact on, on the roster and the program. I, I'm hoping that his impact is going to be very evident, very quickly uh, from beyond the arc, because everything I've seen about this guy, uh, his shot is all water. Like literally I, I saw, I think I saw one, uh, of course it was a, it was a warm up. It wasn't a highlight where you can kind of splice things together. It was like a warm up before a game. He took 53 pointers and I think he hit 47 of them. Like this man can hit three pointers. And if he can do that consistently him. And, and if you think about the class of 2022, the one guy who, you know, you would expect to be kind of a guy who would be around in a second year uh, is Jaden shut or Jaden shoot. And, and with, with him and Proctor, both lighting it up from beyond the arc, that's just going to stretch defenses so much more than they already would be stretched with the number of guys they have on the inside. And I think that would be a really welcome presence on Duke's offense. So I want to talk about the even more exciting prospect because normally Tyrese Proctor committing to the Blue Devils any other week would be the biggest news of the week because he is a he's a five star. Uh, he's he's got a an offer list from many top programs, and yet not 24 hours after Tyrese Proctor committed, Duke got a commitment from a dude who I think has the potential to be the next really, really, really amazing Duke player after, you know, whoever emerges next year among the lively Filipowski whitehead crowd, that is Mackenzie Mbako. Once again, that's Mackenzie Mbako. He's a six, eight forward. As I said, he's from New Jersey, um, you know, plays, plays elite level, uh, both high school and AAU basketball, uh, super bouncy guy. And, and I am excited to talk about him because when you look at the set of commitments that Duke already has in the 23 cast, it's, it's, three five-star guys, one borderline five-star guy in Sean Stewart. And Baco is a dude who, you know, depending on how his development goes, could be in line to be the number one pick in the draft uh, come 2024. So Donald, what was your reaction to, uh, to the commitment of Mackenzie and Baco to Duke? His athleticism is incredible. That's for one. Um, the fact that again, let, let me say it again, John Shire is not coached to practice as the head coach of Duke basketball and already has the number one recruiting class in both the class of 2022 and 2023. And again, he has not coached to practice yet, much less a game. 
I, I think that is incredible. The iron is super, super hot when it comes to recruiting down in Durham uh, at the Gothic Wonderland. So uh, when it comes to Mbako, just his, you know, his athleticism is what struck strikes me like first, but his ability to create around the basket, his ability to get to the basket, his ability to just figure out a way to score. Uh, it's another creative option that we can have again, couple that with Proctor on the outside. He won't have to worry about a lot of, you know, shooting three pointers or, or trying to pull his guy out to the perimeter. Cause we're going to have guys that can stretch our stretch defenses. He can be the guy that can clean up anything in the, on offense and, and on defense. I mean, I think athleticism is going to help if he can play the type of team defense that, you know, we honestly don't know what kind of defense we're going to expect under John Shire. But if he can play that team defense that Duke is known for uh, over the years, this man's going to be a, a, a world beater. He's going to be one of those guys that, you know, like you said, the cl- the prize of the class type of guy, potential number one draft pick type of guy. I'm looking forward to watching him play. Jason Mbako is advertised as a as a scorer. He's a he's a big time scorer already at the high school level. Six uh, eight, rangy, athletic. I feel like there are an endless number of guys in Duke history that you could potentially compare Mbako to. Maybe going all the way back to Grant Hill and uh, you know <laughs> recent vintages of of Duke forwards. You know, get you kind of excited. So, which uh, which guy in Duke history do you think Mbako is most like? when it comes to his perform his uh, potential at Duke. I, I will preface this by saying you, you hate to put expectations on a guy and you hate to say to a guy, Hey, you're going to be the next blank because Mackenzie Mbako should be the first Mackenzie Mbako. He's that good. And he deserves that chance. That said, everything I read about this kid, I mean, everything, everybody brings up the same name. They all say Jason Tatum. They all say this kid really reminds them of Tatum's game, you know, t- like Tatum, tall, 6'8". He'll, he'll, pro- he'll probably continue to grow, so he'll probably be 6'9", maybe even 6'10", by the time he gets to gets to school. Um, really broad shoulders. I noticed he has very – I watched the tape on him. He's got very wide shoulders and a solid frame. That's not to say he's, um, uh, you know, that, that he's like thick because he is skinny. He needs to put on weight. He's only 200 pounds. He's 6'8", 200 but, but you can see from his shoulders that he can put on weight and it wouldn't affect his quickness. It wouldn't affect his athleticism or anything like that. It's, it's, he has a wide base. And you can tell when he does post moves, like he has a wide foundation, which A, makes it difficult for guys to get around. And B, like you said, if he puts on a little bit of weight, it's just going to make, make him that much more of a menace in the paint. Yeah, but just his look to me looks so athletic. And his high school coach is the only person I've found who doesn't compare him to Jason Tatum. You ready for who his high school coach compares him to? He said, Mbako reminds him of Kevin Durant. I'm like, whoa. I mean, if you, if <laughs> you want to be unfair to the kid before he, <laughs> right. before he sets foot on a college campus. Yeah. Now, I don't know that he's going to become a seven-footer who, who shoots threes off the dribble the way Kevin Durant does. But to be honest, he's not that far from that. I mean, this is a guy with the body of a power forward, but the ability to hit three-point shots, the ability to take guys off the dribble. He is truly elite. I mean, really elite at getting and knocking down jumpers. Um, I, it's probably going to drive me a little bit crazy because you guys know how much I hate the, the mid-range jumper. <laughs> I'm like, take a layup, you know, take a shot in the lane or take a three. But this is a guy who is really great at getting those, you know, 12, 15-footers, uh, again, he he squares his shoulders. He's so strong. He's able to to shed guys off. 
Um, and, and he just looks fluid every time he goes up for a shot. There was an article uh, in Sports Illustrated about his commitment, and he spoke at length about his relationship with John Shire. And he said they'd connected in like a really genuine kind of way. He knew that John Shire had been through this, understands what it takes, um, what, what recruiting is like uh, at the high school level, understands what it takes to, to, to become a great player and win titles. And, and he, he talked about just Shire being so honest with him and, and his sense that Shire had a plan to, to help McKenzie reach his full potential. Um, he said he was really bummed, by the way, that Duke lost in the Final Four. Um, and that he he knew a long time ago that Duke was the school for him. And he was absolutely rooting for us at the Final Four, but he didn't want to give it away too much because he hadn't officially committed yet. But I, it was a nice article, and I, I just love everything I'm reading about this guy. Yeah, not, not only does he have a name that might go down as one of the best names in Duke history, but the athleticism jumps out at you when you when you watch highlights from this kid. I'm, I'm like you, Jason. I, I think that the sky is the limit for a kid like Mbako. I do want to talk a little bit about uh, Proctor and Mbako in the, in the context of, uh, of an important, uh, you know, basketball event that happened this week. And, and Jason, I know you were tuned in to the Nike hoop summit. I mentioned that Mbako and Proctor were both playing on the world team and that Kyle Filipowski, Derek, uh, Derek Whitehead and Derek Lively were all playing on the U S team. So uh, give me a sense for what you saw from all five of the Duke guys in, in that exhibition. Yeah. So the thing to know about the international team versus the U S team at the Nike hoop summit is just because there aren't quite as many international players who can, who can get here and where it makes sense for them to play in it and things like that. The international team quite often um, takes guys who are only juniors. Um, the, 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 the U S team is almost all is all going to be seniors. It's all going to be guys who are on their way to college, but Proctor and Mbako, both got to play for the international team this year, even though they were only 17. Um, and most of the other players in this game were 18 or 19. You know, when you get a little bit older, one year doesn't make a big difference, but it, at 17 years old, it, it makes a difference. And both uh, Proctor and Mbako, you know, they, they were fine, but they did not stand out very much in this game. Uh, they were playing with guys, you know, who were just bigger, stronger, more experienced than they were. There was an international player named, uh, John Montero, who's going to be drafted in the NBA this summer. Like literally this guy is getting ready to go to the NBA in just a couple months who played in this game. And he was the leading scorer for the international team. Um, so I, I was impressed that Mbako and Proctor both started for the world team. Like, I think that's a big deal. That they started, but they didn't do a ton. They sort of deferred to these older guys who are truly elite players who are a year older than them. So let's talk a little bit about the guys who did show out well for Duke, um, specifically Derek Whitehead. And the book on Derek Whitehead has been people were unsure a little bit about the outside shot, about his three-pointer, his three-point touch. Well, in this game, playing against elite players, playing with elite players, this is as good a game as the McDonald's All-American game. Derek Whitehead just went off. He was five of seven on three-pointers. He scored 17 points. I saw a couple of these step-back threes that are, frankly, impossible to guard, and, and he seemed very confident taking them. Um, really, really quick release on his shot. He also had five rebounds. He had four assists. So this is a guy, you know, he filled it up. The way we talk about Wendell Moore, he almost had a 10-5-5 five, and five in an all-star game where he only played, you know, 20-something minutes. Uh, so I was really impressed with Derek Whitehead. I thought he looked just fabulous. And, and by the way, between this game and the McDonald's All-American game, he's now 8 of 14 on three-pointers in, uh, in, in these major competitions. That, 
better than 50%. That is really impressive. Um, uh, Kyle Filipowski, this was the first time we got to see him in an all-star game. And I'm, I'm going to be honest. Look, I've been raving about all the Duke players. Kyle Filipowski did not look good. His shot got blocked several times. He only scored three points. He did lead all players in the game with eight rebounds. And, and his control of the boards was, was a huge part of the run that helped Team USA win. Uh, the Team USA won this going away. It was close for a while, but then they pulled away. And when they pulled away, it was part of the time that Kyle was in the game and Kyle was really hitting the boards really well. Um, he only played 12 minutes. And I think his game maybe isn't super well suited for all-star game kind of free-for-all sort of stuff. He's not quite as much of a run-jump athlete. Um, and I felt like it looked like everything he was doing was just a little bit slow. It may be that he doesn't have as much experience playing against guys at this level. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it was fine. It wasn't a tremendously impressive performance by, by Kyle Filipowski. And then Derek Lively um, had eight points, three rebounds. He had a steal. He blocked a shot. He only played 13 minutes as well. Uh, one, th it, one thing I noted is that he's got – He's got such great reach. He's 7-1 with really long arms. So there were a couple times they threw lobs to him. And I was like, ooh, where's that going? And then he would grab it and slam it. And it was just, I was like, wow. Um, he is now in the McDonald's All-American game of the Nike Hoop Summit. Derek Lively is now 9 for 9 shooting. <laughs> that's, that's a good percentage. Um, and, and he just, he, he, he looks like he's not going to do a ton, at least initially, other than get those slams other than to get those, you know, putbacks and, and especially lobs, but he may get a lot of them next year. I did notice that he had a couple plays where he passed out of the post really smartly. Um, it's something you don't see very often from a high school or something you don't see very often in these all-star games, but, but it looks like he's very aware as a passer of, um, of where he's going to, you know, put the ball, uh, you know, around the floor to, to his teammates when he's doubled. Uh, but I, you know, all three of the Duke guys, you know, they, they they look good. These 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 guys are the are the core of what Duke's going to have next year, and especially Derek Whitehead. Just you know, this guy looks like he is a stud. Jason, appreciate that report on the Nike Hoop Summit. Some some exciting stuff. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to uh, take all these names and start putting them into place as far as what does the Duke roster look like next year. We don't need to talk too much about what the 2023 2024 roster looks like because that is that is far too far off. So we can just have dreams of Mackenzie Mbako dominating the ACC. But I do want to talk about the upcoming season, about John Shire's first roster, because of course there are NBA draft decisions that are still to be made. There's the uh, discussion going on about Caleb Foster potentially reclassifying and much more. Stick around. So as we mentioned before the break, we need to talk about Duke's roster for the upcoming 2022-2023 season because it's been a whole week since Duke was bounced from the tournament, and uh, that means it's it, it's prime time for us to be discussing the roster for next year. No NBA draft decisions have been made, or at least none that have been announced publicly, but the, the big sort of public rumor that's out there right now is that... Uh, one of the star point guards of the 2023 class who has already committed to Duke has long committed to Duke. Caleb Foster uh, said publicly that not only will he not be following Nolan Smith to Louisville, because there, there has been sort of some talk that, you know, potentially with Nolan leaving, he might have the ability to, uh, to bring some of his quote unquote Duke guys with him to Louisville. Caleb Foster has said 
that he will not be uh, switching his commitment to Louisville. He's sticking with John Shire and he's sticking with Duke. And he is also in conversation with the program about potentially reclassifying to the 2022 class. So he would graduate high school this summer, finish his credits, and then head to Durham to to begin the season um, with the Blue Devils. I think implicit in this, given that he is a point guard and is a, a ball dominant guy, would be that Duke is without the services of Trevor Keels and Jeremy Roach, Roach especially, uh, the one who I'd, I'd say among uh, Roach, Keels, and even Wendell Moore, unknown right now as to what each of them are thinking about, about NBA draft decisions. But you have to figure that Foster's only coming to Duke if he knows he's going to have the ball in his hand for 25 or 30 minutes a game. Donald, what do you think about the potential for Caleb Foster reclassifying and, and joining Duke in the fall? It's interesting to me because, if, I mean, if you look at the 2022 class, you have six guys coming in, and, and that's including uh, Christian Reeves, the guy who I think everyone expects to either redshirt or, or not get a lot of time next year. But if he comes in, you're adding to that class. And again, I think it all depends on if, you know, a couple of guys leave Trevor Keels or Jeremy Roach, uh, if they end up leaving either to go to the NBA or elsewhere, um, I, I think that would be the idea for him to come in. But uh, I'm interested to see how that would all fit. And and I would hate for John Shire's first year as a head coach to start out with trying to divvy out all these minutes and try to figure out where all these guys are going to play. But I mean, also if he feels like he's going to reclassify, either feels like a, he is going to get a lot of playing time or B he's going to be on track to get playing time uh, as a sophomore or, and just have a track and, and a plan ready to go. So, uh, I'm curious to see how would it work in on paper. I don't know how it'll work, but I, I'm not, I'm not the expert here. I'm going to see what John Shara has in, in his first year. I'm sure he has a plan for all this. So the thing I'd say about Caleb Foster is everyone assumes that it's dependent on Jeremy Roach's decision about whether or not, and, and there's not a lot of talk that Jeremy Roach is going to turn pro, but, but it's not, it's not impossible to imagine. He played great down the stretch. If he played, you know, the final few weeks of the season, if he played that way the whole season, then we probably would be talking about Jeremy Roach, um, you know, uh, likely going to the NBA draft. It, it seems unlikely at this point. Jason, but- it feels a little bit, you know, you tell me if you if you think this is a fair comparison. It feels a little bit like the discussion of Grayson Allen's NBA prospects after his freshman season in 2015 when he was That's a, great a star in a handful of games, especially, you know, in the final four in the national championship but not with the, the track record of a full season. Exactly. I think that's a great comparison. And, and it's easy to see, okay, if, if Duke has this big hole at point guard that, that it you know, makes sense for Caleb Foster to reclassify and, and, and come, to, come to Durham. The only other scenario I would say, and the reason I think it is possible Caleb Foster reclassifies, regardless of what Jeremy Roach does, is, I mean, if you're Caleb Foster and you want to be the best player you can be, there's a pretty decent argument for get to Duke as fast as you can playing, playing in Duke practices in Duke's facility, working out in, in, you know, with the weight trainers and the other professional staff and the such, that's going to be better than what you're going to get at the high school level. No question about it. And so perhaps he reclassifies comes to Duke early without the expectation that he's going to be playing huge minutes. I mean, it may be that he's, you know, playing eight, 10 minutes a game, backing up Jeremy Roach. Um, or, 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 you know, you know, it could, he could even come in red shirt potentially. I'm not saying that's likely at all, but um, you can make a pretty good argument that if he's able to get there soon, perhaps that makes sense for him. Now, 
Joey Baker did the same thing and it didn't really work out for him. So it's not always an ideal situation, but, but I think it's not impossible to imagine. And especially because he has good friends with Christian Reeves. Um, they play on the same high school team together and, and maybe he wants to come, you know, hang with his buddy while they both sort of, you know, play a smaller role versus a big one. And you also have the fact that with name, image, and likeness, he can come and expose that part of his brand and kind of build that using the Duke machine a year earlier than he would too. So I don't know if that's the overarching factor, but definitely something that he's probably considering with just muddling with all this. And and the other thing really quick, I don't want to dismiss Jalen Blakes. Duke has a point. If, if Jeremy Roach decides to leave, Duke still has a borderline top 100 point guard on the roster in Jalen Blakes. Uh, we didn't see a ton of him this year. Um, he mostly played at the very, very end of games, um, you know, with, with some of the lesser players. So you don't have a great sense of what he would do playing with, with um, you know, top tier kind of teammates. But it, it's not like if Jeremy Roach leaves and Trevor Keels also leaves, that Duke is suddenly like, oh my God, desperate to get Caleb Foster or Tyrus Proctor or someone like that. Jalen Blakes is not about, there are plenty of teams in the ACC that would kill to have Jalen Blakes as their point guard. Back on the topic of, of whether it makes sense for Foster in terms of playing time, name, image, and likeness. The other thing that I think is interesting to watch here is that he already plays at Oak Hill, which Duke fans should be very familiar with. We've gotten a handful of guys, Nolan Smith, I think most prominently, but Oak Hill is, is one of the best high school basketball programs in the whole country. They, they churn out NBA talent basically every season. So there is something to be said for, for being, you know, if you're, if you're at a high school that is competitive, but not elite, um, something to be said for, well, you could, you could come to Durham and, and even if you're only playing 10 minutes a game, it's still really worthwhile for your development. I imagine I haven't looked at the Oak Hill roster, but Caleb Foster's probably on a, on a team with a bunch of high D one bound players. So uh, there's something to be said for coming back and getting to play another season at Oak Hill and experience all of the the senior accolades around uh, all American games and and national player of the year, Gatorade player of the year honors, things like that, that, that he could be in line for. He's not certainly one of the, the, the top, top guys, but he is considered like a top 10, 15 type prospect. But I totally hear what you're saying, Jason, that, that the, the opportunity to come to Duke, especially if the roster clears out, if, if, Keels, Moore, Roach are all gone, which I'm not sure at this point uh, how likely that is. But if they're all gone, there's tons of space, even with Jalen Blakes on the roster. And maybe this is a good opportunity, by the way, to, to look a little bit at, at those decisions. So we mentioned no NBA draft decisions yet. I think that you guys tell me if you, if you feel otherwise. It feels to me like Bancaro, Williams, A.J. Griffin, all certainly gone from Duke. Everybody else is at least something of a decision uh, among more Keels, Roach, Roach maybe being the, the least likely to leave. But as we said, you could certainly envision that happening. Um, a lot of talented guys, of course, coming in to the program, Whitehead, Lively, uh, Filipowski. We, we've, we've talked about them uh, a ton, a couple other guys in this class who would expect to play a little bit this year, but those three feel like they're high enough level recruits that, that you've got to have them starting or at least playing big minutes. If Foster commits, he would, certainly become one of those, whether he's playing next to a Jalen Blakes or, or, you know, uh, uh, behind him, but also a guy who's probably getting real minutes on this team. Jason, let me, let me come back to you. What are you thinking about uh, the way that the roster shakes out for Duke and maybe how the, the point guard and, and wing um, rotation looks depending on some of these decisions? 
Yeah, I, I think uh, I think when you wonder about NBA draft decisions, you can sometimes look a little bit at how Duke has recruited to get a hint of what the coaches think in terms of NBA draft decisions. So Duke went out last summer and they got the number one center in the class in Derek Lively. And they got the number one power forward in the class in Kyle Filipowski. And they got the number one wing in the class in Derek Whitehead. Well, I think you can make a pretty good guess there that they were figuring that Paulo Bancaro and Mark Williams and AJ Griffin were all turning pro. <laughs> um, you know, and it's easy to see how those three guys I just mentioned can slot into those positions. But if you look at the rest of the class, um, you know, Mark Mitchell is a power forward. Uh, Christian Reeves, we said, is, is a developmental player. That's, that's a guy who, in theory, is going to be at Duke for a long, long time. And Jaden Shute is, is a shooting guard, but Jaden Shute is not of the ranking where you would expect him to walk into a starting position. So it, it definitely looks like Duke recruited bigs. Um, they also got some smaller guys, but the smaller guys, they didn't get nearly as many smaller guys, and they didn't get smaller guys who are like immediately going to start. So I think that, you know, right away, as you identified, Sam, um, to, to an extent, Wendell Moore, but, but certainly Trevor Keels and Jeremy Roach, the Duke coaching staff, when they were recruiting, I think they expected those guys, there at least a decent possibility that those guys would be back in Durham. Uh, in terms of how it all shakes out, I don't know for sure. Obviously, no one does. Which of those guys comes back and which ones leave? But I'll, I'll say this. If two of them leave, if two of Roach, Keels, and Moore depart for the NBA draft. I think you can tell that Duke is preparing for this by what they're doing in the transfer portal. And specifically, they are looking very, very hard at Kansas State guard Nigel Pack. Nigel Pack averaged more than 17 points per game last year for Kansas State. Um, he, was, uh, he shot better than 43% from three-point range. This is literally one of the best three-point shooters in the land. He can play point guard or shooting guard. He's a true combo guard. And Duke is very much talking to Nigel Pack. Um, uh, the other schools that are involved with him are like Gonzaga, Arizona, Purdue, Ohio State, Miami, Tennessee. And I wonder, we haven't really heard much of what Nigel Pack is doing in terms of, you know, narrowing his list or making decisions yet. I wonder if he's waiting to see what Trevor Keels decides, because I think Trevor, most people think Trevor Keels is sort of the, the, you know, the linchpin here. And if Trevor Keels comes back to Duke, I don't think there's any way Nigel Pack is coming. He's, he was all big 12. He was a first team, all big 12 player. He's not coming to Duke to play behind Trevor Keels. So if Trevor Keels does declare, I think you'll see Duke really put the full court press on Nigel Pack. And I think Nigel Pack may be, may be waiting right now to see what happens with NBA draft declarations before he figures out where he goes. And I think that's a sign that he may be really looking at Duke. I think what's good about this situation for Duke is that there are lots of options and it's, it doesn't seem like however this shakes out, right. Um, you know, maybe Duke gets the, gets the transfer. Maybe they have Trevor Keels back potentially uh, or likely that they have Jeremy Roach back, even if Wendell Moore is gone um, and that Caleb Foster is, is potentially also in the mix here as, as a guy who could be in that point guard rotation for Duke. So the nice thing to me, at least is that the floor is pretty high as far as the outcomes for Duke. It feels unlikely that none of those players that I just mentioned will be playing for Duke next season. Donald, how are you sort of thinking about this when it comes to Duke's options? Because the transfer portal today is much more open for Duke, you know, philosophically and just because it's such a bigger part of college basketball than it was for Coach K even like four or five years ago. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we talked about the transfer portal last year, the success that we had, I thought, in getting uh, Theo John and, and Bates Jones. But I think getting Nigel Pack, if we, were, if, if we get him, if you look at the ratings for guys that are currently in the transfer portal right now, Nigel Pack is at the top of every list. He is the best guy in the transfer portal right now. If we could get him, it would be incredible. If we get Trevor Keels back, that's also incredible. So I, I think for us, we're, we're pretty fortunate in the fact that we're either going to have an experienced sophomore come in or very experienced guard coming in through via the transfer portal. And I think Duke will be okay there. I think when it comes to the other guys, we may find that we go to the transfer portal more under John Shire than we would consider transfers under Coach K. The transfer portal is going to be more important to the success of teams. And we've seen a lot of teams get players and through the transfer portal already and take them to success either via winning conference titles or getting to the final four of the national championship game. So I think we will, we will invest in that a little bit heavier, but I still think that it all depends on what happens to the guys that were here. I think we're in great position as Duke that we have option a is terrific option B just as terrific. It's fascinating to me how different the, uh, the landscape is these days for coaches in terms of, you know, recruiting is, of course, a, a year-round activity for college basketball coaches. They never stop talking to recruits. I mean, outside of the times when they're actually not allowed to, but they're breaking down tape. They're talking to their current guys about what their plans are. And and with the the transfer portal becoming such a big deal and so many more guys leaving for the NBA draft and trying to, you know, trying to start their pro careers early, a lot more coaching uh, careers are being made or broken in April, right at this, this is the the critical period of the year when lots of people are, are making decisions based on what other people are doing. So there's sort of a, a wait and wait and wait and then and then see uh, as far as NBA draft decisions, transfers, high school commitments, all the like. Jason, I want to give you uh, one more word on on the status of the Duke roster and the state of recruiting for John Shire. So this is just a tweet I wanted to, to get you guys' reaction to. I loved it. Fran Fraschilla, who's not the greatest Twitter follow, by the way, but he's not bad. Fran Fraschilla said that he was talking to some guy. He said, a media member told me that he'd rather be the guy that replaces the guy who replaces Coach K. And, you know, it makes sense. You don't want to be, you don't want to replace the legend. You want to be the guy who replaces the guy who replaced the legend. And then Fran Fraschilla said, based on the way Duke men's basketball is recruiting right now, if you want to be the guy who replaces the guy who replaced Coach K, you may have to wait 30 years. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just to follow up on your, Sam, you were just mentioning just how the landscape has changed and how coaches are always talking to players, breaking down game film. Players are talking to players too. We The landscape has changed also where a lot of these guys are really close friends with each other, even if they play on different teams, even if they played, you know, they may not have played in the same AAU team or high school team, but they all know each other. They all are talking to each other. And with social media breaking down those barriers, you see a lot of players recruiting players to come to teams to the point where coaches don't have to be the guys that sell the player on a school. It's the players have already done it. They just have to come in and close. That's what we're going to see a lot with the transfer portal. You see guys already have those decisions in mind when they enter the transfer portal. And that's even before we mention all the potential NIL involvement that, that goes on here because – You've got boosters who are able to offer, you know, above board compensation for these players to go to certain places. And, and I've heard some discussion recently about how that's not going, not just going to affect high school players and transfers, but guys who are on the fence about 
going into the NBA draft, if they have the potential to make, you know, more than, than G league type money in an extra season in college, it might even now make financial sense for them to come back, not just developmental or exposure sense. And I want to be really clear about something regarding name image and likeness, likeness NIL. Duke has, I think very wisely chosen to not talk very much about it. You, you, you hear stuff, you know, there, there are these big articles about, um, oh God, was it uh, Texas Tech, Texas A&M, I think it was, Texas A&M, I guess, that, that has put together this whole network of boosters that are bringing in football recruits. There was all this talk. Um, there were people from Kentucky who were bragging about the fact that they were going to offer uh, Oscar Shibway, uh, you know, like one and a half or $2 million to come back. There, there's, there are a lot of people who are making noise about NIL. Duke is not doing that. And I think that's the smart thing to do. But I want to be very clear. I want to be abundantly clear to every single person out there. These guys who are coming to Duke, John Shire pulling in, was it like something like nine five-star players in the past year, which is unprecedented? I think that's probably because Duke is opening up the, the pocket, the, the wallet in a big, big way. And, and, and by the way, more power to them. These players deserve to be paid. There's nothing wrong with it. This is not shady or anything like that, but it is very clear. There's no way John Shire would be as great a recruiter as he is. As much as he connects with these guys, as much as they think he's genuine, as much as the Duke brand and the brotherhood, all these things. Yes, these things are fabulous. They're important. But the almighty dollar also talks. Duke is absolutely paying top dollar for these recruits. There's no question about that. Teddy Roosevelt once said, speak softly and carry a big stick. Duke's big stick is the social media brand that they've built and the number of times you see Duke players on national and international commercials that you've seen over the last year. And that's that stick is is speaking wildly uh, to a lot of players. Speaking of one more way that John Shire is enhancing the experience in Durham, uh, he brought in his first new coach of the of of the regime. Uh, that's Mike Schrage, who Duke fans may be familiar with. Uh, he was most recently the head coach at Elon for the last three seasons, but he spent a number of years on the bench at Duke as a, um, as a director of basketball operations for Coach K. He left that job in 2008 along with Johnny Dawkins to become an assistant at Stanford, was there for many years before working under uh, Chris Holtman. So he's worked for, in different capacities, Mike Krzyzewski, Johnny Dawkins, Chris Holtman, and is now going to be working for John Shire as a special assistant to the head coach. So Shragi is coming back. He's, he's in a way a Duke guy, but in a way not a Duke guy. Of course, didn't play for Coach K, uh, did work under him, but has also worked for a few other coaches. I think namely Chris Holtman being a, a name on his resume that is not going to be similar to Duke because, of course, Coach K played for Bob Knight. Any any sort of uh, positive effects of, of working with Coach Knight, I think, have already rubbed off on everybody within the Duke program. But Shragi brings experience not only as a former head coach at Elon, but as someone who played or as someone who coached, rather, under and another elite coach in college basketball, Chris Holtman, who's done a bang up job sort of building his own career and reaching a, a pretty premium job at Ohio State. So, Donald, let me send it back to you. What do you think about the news that Mike Schrage is returning to Durham as a special assistant to John Shire? Well, on, on the one side, I, I welcome Mike back. I know I know him from when I was in school. He was uh, director of basketball operations for a couple of years when I was uh, at Duke as an undergrad. Uh, so it was nice to have him back on campus, and I'm sure he was willing to get back into the fold at Duke University. Uh, but I, I will say I thought it was weird that he resigned as head coach at Elon to take 
a job that for all intents and purposes, he's not going to be one of the top three assistant coaches. He's not going to be on the recruiting trail. He's kind of getting back into that role that he used to have kind of being a, a more of a front office type of guy for this program. So um, that yeah, was the part Donald, that thought, coach, coach isn't even in his title. Like, I don't think he's going to do any coaching, right. you know, at all. The NCAA, by the way, has rules about that kind of stuff. Can only have think- three. And, and so that's what I thought was, was interesting. I, I, at first I thought it was weird, but I'll say it's interesting because he was on a track. He was a head coach. I honestly, it's funny when, when the announcement came, or the rumors came down, I thought he had been fired as coach at Elon and that I just hadn't figured, had found out about it, but it turned out he stepped down as head coach basically to take this new uh, role as special assistant to the head coach at Duke university. So uh, I, I'm interested to see how that plays out. And it seems like he's kind of wanting to get back into that front office kind of track, um, you know, something that would lead maybe down the line to an, uh, an athletic AD job somewhere uh, at uh, whether it's not at Duke or somewhere else. But I, I'm interested to see how that works. But I do think as far as the you know mind is concerned, Mike Schrocki is one of the best basketball minds that is around. And, and having him back at Duke is going to be very, very key to the success of John Shire. And, and I want to point out, by the way, I, I, first of all, let me say about this about Mike Schrocki. Uh, he is going to take a lot of the administrative and organizational and all that other kind of stuff. Not that he's going to take it completely off John Shire's plate, but it's going to be someone who can help John Shire with those kind of things and let John Shire focus on the things that Shire thinks are the most important to focus upon. And that's a really big deal. Coach K has had people in this kind of position for many, many, many years. Um, Being the head basketball coach at Duke University requires a whole bunch of stuff. And the less that the coach has to worry about that, other stuff is good and that's exactly what Shraggy's going to do for for John Shire I also want to point out this dude comes from a, a really really smart family like Shraggy's brother is a guy named Stephen Shraggy who was like one of the youngest assistant secretaries of state in in history and is like an expert on crime and terrorism and the such and, and he's on uh, like he's in all kinds of administrations you know presidential administrations and uh, and on TV all the time, he 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 went. Stephen Shroggy, by the way, went to Duke, and then got his MBA at Harvard and got his PhD at Cambridge. So that's a dude who's smart. That's Mike's brother, and Mike's father is like an incredibly distinguished professor at Georgia Tech. So he comes from a family of incredibly accomplished uh, individuals. And and Donald, your comment about you know you were a little surprised that he wasn't taking another coaching position. It is very possible that. This guy just decided I don't coaching a basketball team is a, you know, as we heard, we've heard the stories about coach K up till, you know, stressful. Yeah. Yeah. Four or 5. AM doing tape stuff. It's very, I I don't know Mike Shroggy's family, but it is entirely possible. He was just like, look, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to do something that's a little ratcheted back a bit. I won't be traveling nearly as much. And, and that's perfectly fine. And this is still an incredibly important position within the Duke program. Yeah, most of the distinction between being an assistant coach and being any of the other guys on the floor is the amount of time that you're allowed to spend with players and with recruits. So it's not that he's not allowed to to break down film. It's not that he's not allowed to design strategy. It's not that he's not allowed to have a hand in Duke putting together its non-conference schedule, which 
you know, we talk about all the things that may change uh, under John Shire that never did under Coach K. The construction of the non-conference schedule might be totally different for Duke, where we've gotten so used to the non-conference schedule effectively being exactly the same every season for Duke under the last few years under Coach K. Um, so Shragi could have a hand in all of those things, as well as sort of whatever other administration is going on. He's certainly familiar with the inner workings of the Duke program, having been there for a long time. And as I said, he's seen a number of other programs run at, you know, I know that Johnny Dawkins was not super successful at Stanford, but working with the Stanford administration, working under Chris Holtman, who is himself a great basketball coach at both Butler and Ohio State, um, and then working at a small school like Elon, Shragi brings a lot of experience that can only, I think, be helpful to Duke, uh, especially because John Shire still has the opportunity to to name another assistant coach, be it, you know, not only like, and this is assuming, of course, that Emil Jefferson is just promoted into the other assistant role. There's still one other assistant coach position available for John Shire to fill. And, and, and you know, Sam, you know, you didn't mention of all the things that, that you know, these guys can uh, can help out with. One of the big ones is recruiting. And by recruiting, I mean, when these kids come to visit campus, there needs to be someone who has planned every aspect of, of their visit. And it's, and again, this is just something that John Shire doesn't need to be worrying about, but when these kids come to visit, you know, their parents need to be put up someplace. They need to have, you know, know where they're sleeping and, and who's, you know, who's taking them around and showing them this and that, taking them to classes, having them meet professors or other things like that, meet other members of the program. There's just a lot that goes into each and every recruiting visit. And if you do it the right way, every one of them is customized. You don't do it the same for every, uh, you know, for every uh, every kid, and I I am certain that that is going to be one of the things that Shragi really pays attention to and coordinates and organizes for John Shire. So that will do it for this episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. One administrative note from me: uh, if you are Tom G and you were one of the co-winners of the DBR Bracket Challenge, you have. I'm going to say you have like one more week to get in touch with us. We did hear from uh, from one of the winners who we've we've talked with over email. We're working on uh, getting him uh, scheduled to to come on the show. But listener or or DBR reader Tom G, if you're not a listener, uh, this won't this won't reach you anyway. But uh, you do have the opportunity to come join us on the podcast. We also have gotten a lot more email this week. Did not get a chance to dive into that mailbag. Keep sending us questions. I think we may have an opportunity soon, depending on the cadence of the departures and arrivals news to, uh, to, to do a little bit of mailbag deep dive. Yeah. And, and, and Sam, a lot of the emails this week were, Hey, talk about this recruit or talk about, you know, what's the roster going to be like for next year, that kind of thing. We did it. (laughs) We didn't worry. Don't worry. We're certainly talking about, and we have the right to change our minds as, as things happen. So (laughs) yes, exactly. So I'm not, I'm not committing to much here, but, uh, but certainly stay in touch with us. DBR podcast at gmail.com for Donald wine. And for Jason Evans, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 415 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast, Duke Band. Take us home.